So I, I was I was thinking about potentially pulling an audible on you guys. Okay. Oh God. Uh, I listened to a lot of versions of Achy Breaky Heart. We listened to like five versions. There's so yeah. many shitty remixes of oh, that. But, but we he, don't have to talk about that. We well, can, because I, I definitely mean, said to Spencer, why did we agree to this? Yeah, she was oh, like, man. this was a bad idea. <laughs> Hey, this is Spencer. And this is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. And today our guest is Dylan Earl. He's in town tonight for a show at Slim, so you won't be able to see that, but hopefully you've seen it <laughs> previewed on our Instagram stories, my obnoxious graphics and all that. He'll be making his way around here again, I'm sure, because he's played Raleigh a lot. Thanks for joining us while you're in town, Dylan. Damn fine to be here. <laughs> Before we get into your backstory of how you've been involved in 90s country, on this particular tour, you've had a song that has been a 90s country song as part of the tour. This is oh, yeah. one reserve for a future guest, so we didn't want to make this the sole focus of Dylan's time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I appreciate you giving me the time to, to talk about it, and I'm really excited that you guys are going to visit this more thoroughly, because I think it deserves all the time in the world. There's a little song uh, by a fellow named uh, Sting, formerly of <laughs> The Police. I don't know if you've ever heard him or not. But anyhow, we kind of, I guess, picked this up on the tour at some point, and I was very resistant to it. And uh, at some point heading out west, I think we were in Kansas, like maybe the first day of the West Coast run out in, back in March. And it came on. I was like, you got to get this shit off the radio. I can't take it. And by the time we get to Utah, I'm like, damn, all right, let's catch on. And get out to California. And I'm in love with it, you know. So it's, it's just a good old divorce tune, you know, by our, our old friend Sting. Anyhow, it's a spectacular song that does cross over over the country and I believe it did ride the country charts for a little while what really legitimizes it um, and, and kind of creates it as, as a sort of catalyst in the whole what is country music thing is that Toby Keith did cover it I believe he had moderate success with it in which Sting also sings in that version too so y'all go ahead and give that a listen out there I'm so happy I can't stop crying by Sting but more importantly be sure to watch the video oh, yeah. it's yes. going to be your favorite thing to talk about at the next party you're at um <laughs> Give it a listen, and then there will be a whole other episode in which it will be featured at some point in the future. And I'm kind of jealous that I don't get to sit there with y'all. All right. Yeah, so we, we already That's told Simon like, a while back that we would reserve that for him because basically as soon as we talked about doing this with him, he was like, I can't do it now, but please save this song for me. And he sent the video, and I don't remember this song at all. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? The first, like... <laughs> The YouTube still is like sting with like the flock of seagulls hair, which is a new thing that I don't remember, and like kind of like a chin goatee thing. Yeah, he was going through clearly going through some shit. You well, know? you said it was a song about divorce. Yeah, he was so. trying to figure out who he was and how to identify with the f- person formerly known as Sting and futurely <laughs> also known as Sting. So I, he was in a pretty perplexing situation, he I'd say. brought him to some artistic heights, though, I must say. We, we believe it was like one of his weird passion projects that he just kind of forced through and was like, fuck all you producers and shit, this is going to be the next big thing. And everyone's like, oh, God, dude, this might be the end of Sting. And somehow he survived it. You know, it's weird as hell. I'm pretty oh. sure there was uh, a pretty high budget on that video, too, with all the effects they had going on. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a must-see video. We'll talk about it more later on, I'm sure, but I'm really glad you appreciate it as much as we do. It might be Sting's opus. I'm not sure. 
I have watched that more than, or listened to it more than any other Sting or Police song in recent <laughs> yeah, months. I'll say that. I'm not sure. In recent months. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think we might have come across it because someone that we knew that we actually, what we used to care about, said that The Police was an awful band. And so that's why oh, we no. used yeah. to. No, I'm kidding. We still love our friends even when they're wrong. <laughs> I like how in the Wikipedia version of this, too, it said that Sting only agreed to let Toby Keith cover it is Sting could play bass and sing vocals on it with him. Like, he needed some shit. He's like, hey, man, I need a gig, so, like, <laughs> yeah. I'll let you cover this song, but you gotta let me play on it, too. Like, Do you think Sting said the same thing whenever they did that cover song? Oh, God. You gotta stop being pregnant for doing things. I know, I gotta stop being pregnant in my brain working. When the Notorious B.I.G. died. And oh, I'll be forced, watching you? Yes, and he required that he sing on that with all uh, of them. Uh, maybe. He definitely got some street cred from that. Yeah. Maybe that's just his M.O. is to be like, yes, you can play my song as long as I get to <laughs> as play As long as I'm you. still on it. And then yeah. I can drop two checks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty smart. God, I well, switch that song for hours. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I was going to say. We've, we've got our first tangent out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of growing up in the 90s, around 90s country, you grew up in Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. But live in Arkansas. Um, yeah, I grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana for the first 15 years of my life until 05 and Katrina and Rita were coming through in Southern mm-hmm. North. Gotcha. And how did 90s country tie into that? Oh, man, shit. I don't even know where to start. I can't even remember the first pair of boots I had. I just have to thank my mom, I guess. My dad's always been a pretty damn uptight dude, and I'm like, I don't think he really likes music, maybe. He does. That's a shitty thing to say about my <laughs> father. But anyway, um, my mom, I don't know, I guess just my earliest memories in life, you know, we had a an 89 Grand Caravan, like, you know, four big old passenger van thing, and you, know, you had to put water in the radiator every day and shit like that so we'd get to school and... I think it was going to school in the mornings, and I kind of remember in the afternoon, but in the afternoons, you're just so stoked to be done with school, you're not giving a shit. Yeah. You got a chocolate bar, and you're like dead <laughs> in the world, you know? But going to school, I just I just remember listening to tons of Merle Haggard and a lot of Willie Nelson, and then, you know, I guess my mother was, she was born in 1950, got to see a lot of the heyday of the Beatles coming over when she was 13 and all that, and you get in the late 60s, early 70s, she starts kind of getting heavier in the country because I think she also did a big turnaround like I did where you're raised on it and then you revolt right. and then mm-hmm. you come back. So that's kind of how it was for me. Just uh, listen to a lot of mostly 70s and 80s country, but mom would still put on the good 90s stuff because this is right before it all went to shit. Like I would say probably the last good year for country music might have been like 96, 97 maybe. Mm-hmm. There's still some good stuff, but like the last landmark year is probably 95, 96, maybe in there. I don't know. I'm, now I'm, I'm being pretty hard. Because <laughs> um, there's it's still nothing some... nothing we haven't said before. Yeah. Right, right. But I mean, there's still some great stuff that came out in the late 90s but you also finally start seeing the shitty stuff mm-hmm. and you kind of see that departure happening there but yeah we listened to Dwight and a lot of Alan Jackson and a little bit of Travis Tritt you know strutting his fine ass around and, um, <laughs> of course a little Billy Ray Cyrus and, and all that so definitely got enough of that taste for sure and it was probably just mornings going to school and, and road trips um, I had some family up in the big thicket in East Texas and then my uncle lived out in Austin for I guess about 30 some odd years and we'd go out there every summer and, uh, yeah, we like to hit the road a lot. And there's road trips, listening to tapes. And that's pretty much 90s country for me. And it's, like, kind of hadn't changed. I'm still in a van listening to 90s country music. <laughs> so, as someone who plays more, like, traditionally minded country, you still 
treat the 90s era pretty seriously for the most part. Absolutely, man. I mean, there's just so much gold in it, you know I mean? And, and, and like I said, it was kind of, there was a lot of dudes at that time that were still holding on to it. You know, Clint Black and Garth Brooks and those guys were all really trying to hold on to that tradition because you could see it fading and they, they saw the suits getting involved and, you know, right before the millennium, everyone was just all about synthetic instruments and all of a sudden that when did that become introduced into country music it's probably right around, right around 2000 you know you might yeah. have had your first like synthesizer or something going on and some now of the Shania granted, stuff you know, yeah exactly yeah. a lot of Shania stuff like that was one of the first crossovers yeah, you know? yeah. now not to say of course like Waylon played a lot of phaser and shit which was dope <laughs> but uh <laughs> it was uh, I, I think that there's still I mean it's just as important as any other decade in country music you know that's kind of where I stand on it I guess gotcha well, the song I picked, I didn't really have a great reason for picking it other than just when I was listening to songs this week. I was like, this song sounds kind of like a Dylan Earl song had he been playing in the 90s. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. Oh, but, Is that a compliment? I, I, I take it as one. Okay, I would hope it, so. As long as you yeah. take it as one. Like, <laughs> I mean, not that the song you picked, Dylan, is ridiculous, but <laughs> it's <a little> ridiculous. <laughs> it is. So I was thinking of one more kind of your style. That's not necessarily how we've done things most of the time, but for some reason just was one of the songs. But I picked Brooks and Dunn's My Next Broken Heart, which was actually the first song they ever wrote. It was their second single on their first album. The two of them wrote together with Don Cook, who ended up being the producer for them for a long time. And I read this story about it today where they got together. They just moved to Nashville. They apparently were living in a log cabin that John and June Cash had, like, let them stay in, which is pretty badass and seems to be yeah. kind of like a endorsement of you should be in Nashville doing things. Mm-hmm. The story that Ronnie Dunn was saying was basically like he had the shuffle and melody and then Don had the idea, I guess, of like the song concept. And then at the end of the day, he was kind of like, well, this was a really good song. I don't really think we'll make it. We're not really fit for Nashville or whatever. After like this first day of writing, you know, might as well head home, all that. And then went back to stay this cabin that the caches had let them stay in, which again, seems kind of like, dude, if anyone's going to like... You're feeling discouraged. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, give yourself a little bit of credit here. And then went on to be their second number one. So obviously it was a good hit for them early on. You know, one thing I was thinking of later about this and kind of falls in line with the song you picked was I I feel like in country music and I could be wrong about this because I haven't thought about it too much yet, but they have a way, a lot of the country songwriters of being really lighthearted about being brokenhearted sometimes Mm -hmm. or being very over the top like my life is over brokenhearted and it's like the middle ground doesn't exist a ton I think you're right yeah but like in a pop song you're not hearing the like I'm brokenhearted but like still this upbeat kind of thing that's going on here or in your song you know that just kind of brushes past that which is kind of interesting I guess maybe they started thinking I don't know Maybe it was something about thinking that the middle ground there is kind of what everyone experiences. So either I'm going to be real laissez-faire about it, right. on about my heartache, or, or I'm just going to be yeah so over the top to actually make that impression. Because it's, you know, it's kind of hard to, I guess, write that middle ground mm-hmm. without it just being like, oh, yeah, fucking everyone's done that, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, how cool is it? this guy doesn't give shit? Right, right, right. Like, oh, my God, that guy might jump off a bridge. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like there's kind of nowadays it seems like more of a 
moving in the direction of that like overly sad mm-hmm. like kind of one-upping each other like how sad can you make this lyric there seems to be like that and I guess what, what do we call that in the band it's like the yeehaw culture where it's like the, the you know kids are trying to put on hats and just like emulate so much to this real strict formula of just like overly sad like you said just so be like this is how country I'm going to be it's going to be overly sad and it's like man it's actually kind of cool like not to give a shit yeah yeah. You know? and like trying to be country is the most non fucking country thing you can do yeah <laughs> it's obnoxious to me but uh, that's a whole nother story well there's <laughs> this song I don't know if you are familiar with Joshua Ray Walker yeah and, yeah I mean um, we've I think like two different times we're scheduled to do shows together and I had to bounce on one and he had to bounce on one or something like that yeah I really dig his new album I, I do too but there's a song and there keep are you familiar with that one I think so where it starts out I laid in bed for an hour a day trying to die of natural causes in case the Lord forgot to take me in my sleep I grew tired of waiting exacerbated I rolled off my mattress in the heat that's the saddest fucking shit yeah it's like you and your fucking sad song Spencer I just (laughs) it's just like that's the peak he was trying to die of natural causes like what the fuck like yeah in in case the Lord forgot to take me in my sleep it's like dude you are peaking on the sad like my life is terrible shit right there which I mean I'm not against but no I'm not at all against it either I feel like there's a tasteful way of doing it and a poetic way of doing it right and like that that's poetry oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 100% Joshua Ray Walker is is A plus in my book yeah you know 100% I I guess the times I'm weary of is whenever people use that that shtick or that that type of idea just so obviously right and you're just like come on like you're a trust fund kid what do you gotta be sad right right right. you know yeah (laughs) yeah. what are you worried about in this world yeah you know uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I ain't gonna start. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hate to go on any tangents here. Um, <laughs> oh man! But I yeah. try to keep my shit talking in the van. <laughs> uh, do you want to listen to this one? Sure. Let's hear it. Crank it loud. You picked me up. You shot me down. Stepping out all over town. Drove me back to drinking in this bar. The 90s are really famous for huge toms in country music, which I love. And I love this, you know. Sometimes guys would double them, you know. They'd, they'd like cap off the lows on one recording, cap off the highs on another, run shit like that stereo. It's fucking gnarly as hell. Sorry. Are we on? We're always we can, on. Yeah, we're always on. But, <laughs> but the nice thing is we can uh, Oh, we can and do edit the shit out of right. stuff. <laughs> cool, we'll get into it. Yeah. yeah, so we've talked about this before whenever we've gone down a Casey Musgraves black hole like we tend to do. This song is on the Brooks and Dunn reboot with John Party. And I realized I didn't know who John Party was, but Spencer, what song did you say? What stupid song? The Dirt on My Boots song? Yeah, the Dirt on My Boots and we, that you we, love. We brought that up before. But I did a search today to remind myself who he was and realized that he has a new song out with another country singer called Thomas Red. And the song is Ain't Nothing That a Beer Can't Fix. (laughs) I'm so glad you saved that. That was perfect timing. 
And nothing that a beer can fix. I wish that I could have a beer right now. Sorry. God damn. This segment brought to you by Ham's Tall Boys. <laughs> Born in the land of sky blue waters. <laughs> so Ham's, good. call us. Ham's can fix anything, but the song is just one of those like songs of summer, catchy as hell. It's got whistling. It's got <laughs> harmonies. Uh, I don't know what else you need in a country song, but both of those guys, I think, play what is like modern shitty country music. But whenever I listened to that, I was like, this sounds like this could be Kenny Chesney. This could be Alan Jackson in the 90s. So my shout out for the one modern day country song that's somewhat decent. So one thing we talked about in an episode that probably hasn't been posted yet was about songs being kind of built around tweet worthy thoughts now. (laughs) Is there more than a tweet worthy thought to this or is it basically just like ramble about some bullshit and then it's a a string of tweets for sure. Does it have have the normal uh, pop country bingo checklist of tailgates, tight blue jeans, God, an old Hank song uh, actually no and that's down. I think that that's why I like it because it doesn't have all of those things I was trying to look um, at the lyrics I'm looking at the lyrics now and there's definitely like there's you're like, on a lake and you're fishing and you're watching your team losing that championship ring and everything's obviously going bad because you know right. that beer your, your girl you and your girl had a fight you're all on the party you want to dance with somebody all those kind of things so it's the opposite of the good things that are usually happening like the right party down the dirt road on a Friday night with my girl in the headlights kind of action. I, I think that that's why I like it because it is a little bit of this like I'm bummed out but I'm going to have a beer and I can fix it with that. And, okay. and that, I think because they don't talk about girls in short shorts and dirt roads and that cliche shit that we hear all the time is one of the reasons that I like it. And it just just go listen to it. All it's right. just catchy. I'm sorry. Watching your team lose a championship game ain't nothing. A beer can't fix it. <laughs> I was about to say, that's like the NC State <laughs> anthem right there. It's just like, they're just going to cut that clip out and yes. just play at the end of State's games this season. It's like, Aww. it's going to be the way out of Carter Finley yeah. in the fall. But, but yeah, that was all I had to say about not even this song. <laughs> song that I just loves in. modern country so much. I just much. love modern country so much. I just wanted to talk about Thomas yeah. Brett. She just wants to keep talking about how she can't have a beer right no, now. That was really the whole purpose of this was for me to complain about not being able to drink. Yeah, well. <laughs> As we slosh down a couple beers right in front of you. Ain't nothing thanks. beer can't fix, I'll tell you what. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'll sip on my water. <laughs> Well, right. I, th- I thought that it was interesting, Spencer, that you chose this song after Dylan told us what song he chose. I didn't really think about it, but go ahead. Yeah, so Dylan, what did you choose? The titles are very similar. <laughs> I chose I chose Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> because he hates us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. Just because, I don't know, I've been thinking about this for days since y'all emailed me about this. And I was like, man, all right. There's so many that mean a lot to me. And I had to really, you know, narrowing it down was almost impossible. So I finally, I, you know, I put myself in that little little boy's boots, you know, <laughs> you know, going to school every morning in Southwest Louisiana, and Achy Breaky Heart was it played at least one time every single fucking morning on the way to school. My brother and sister will talk about it too, and they're just like, yeah, well, we were all gonna have a shitty day around you if you didn't get to hear Achy Breaky Heart, <laughs> you know. So in the mind of a four year old, it was pure gold, you yeah. know. So it was interesting. I listened to it a couple times today on the way over here. It's like, all right, you know damn what a fucking juvenile mind I had and like I just like also didn't understand all these major tropes in it and whatnot mm-hmm. what was going on because it's just so damn catchy and I think you know too 
it's kind of like right before like all that butt country came out, you know, and it kind of is butt country. It really oh, is. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's not, let's not. Speaking of dumb lyrics. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's butt country, man. <laughs> you know, but it was also like, all right, I could, I could go into something with some sort of big elaborate, oh, well this one with all these uh, entendres and this and such and whatnot. I could, I could spill a lot of bullshit y'all, but let's just talk about it. You can break your heart. I mean, come on, you know, it just is what it is. And there's really not a whole lot to discuss about it, I guess. But I mean, that was something that, I mean, shit, I, I remember listening to every fucking morning and I think that it probably had a lot to do with I don't know my appreciation later on in life for 90s country and, and recognizing that mm-hmm. there was something going on now, granted it's not the best 90s country song it's <laughs> it's kind of an awful thing but it's beautiful like I was saying earlier a lot of folks especially in the south go through they're raised on country and you become a teenager and you rebel against everything that you're raised on which is a natural mm-hmm. teenage inclination but in the south we just happen to be mostly raised on country and of course it, that shit exists everywhere all across Canada out in the west coast and overseas too kids getting raised on country and then we all get into punk and all that mm-hmm. shit so I remember like my brother bought me Dude Ranch by Blink-182 and I was like this shit fucks man you know? and then like the Amber the State came out and that was tight and then I got into like Pinkerton you know and shit and then the Green Album by Weezer and I was like oh this shit fucking slaps and Blue Album and shit. That was great. I was a big Weezer nerd. Oh, my God. Same. Me too. Yeah, dude. I was a Weezer freak. I think I was a Weezer freak for Halloween one year. But I went through, like, the whole thing, and I I was getting into rock and roll, and I think at some point my brother also bought me No Depression Uncle Tupelo. I think that that was the first one that steered me back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit. Like, because also folks of our age – when we started revolting was around 2000, 2003 when country music just started turning into total shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it was like it wasn't totally an uncalled for thing because if, if George Strait, you know, was still slapping hits around, which I mean, I guess he always has been, but in a more popular, visible area, then I think we might not have all strayed away so far. But I think that No Depression, Uncle Tupelo brought me back. And then the Drive By Truckers, I became a huge mm-hmm. DBT fan and still am. I think that they're some of the best writers of the Southern thing, not to take one of their own phrases, but. <laughs> They describe this other thing in this beautiful way that I think is is just nothing but the truth. But anyway, that's what kind of brought me back. And so I started digging into the really old stuff that my mom put me on. Mm -hmm. And then finally, nowadays, I think it's really only been probably the last five, six years that I've really started taking 90s country seriously again because I just kind of had it guilty by association with all this other shit. But I mean, you know, I've played Dwight Yoakam so much and everything, but I guess I just imagine that as 80s. Like, you know, and I don't see a lot of those stars that were kind of going out in the 90s as 90s I just associate 80s with them you know yeah. uh, my mental timing is all askew I suppose but uh well and I think yeah. that we and some of our guests struggle with that because I think what I would say is the stuff that's the best about the 90s it's usually the early 90s which has a lot of overlap with mm-hmm. 80s stuff I mean since I am a rule follower here it is quite often that people suggest a song and I'm like nope sorry that was released in 88 so, well, Spencer, I'm, I'm, I think that you were watching some video with the dance moves. Oh, so let me let us ask you this question because mm-hmm. this is a thing that Spencer doesn't remember, but everybody else who grew up in North Carolina in the 90s took line dancing as part of their gym class. Was that a thing in Louisiana? I think it was probably in certain parts. Unfortunately, it was never a part of my curriculum. Aww. But that is, I mean, I mean, it's South Louisiana. I mean, most, of, I mean, not most of the folks. I mean, there's still a lot of people down there who don't even speak English. So I would not doubt that that wasn't present somewhere. But somewhere. holy shit, where'd you go to school? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we, it first came up on the episode with BJ. Yeah. 
with BJ Barnum. It's been like throughout this whole time and, we've been and doing then, this. But that's been a recurrent thing that a lot of our guests have. Did BJ learn line dancing too? He did. Yeah. In, in Reesville? In Reesville, North Carolina. And I think what he said was that they learned a they different dance. They learned to dance, this song. But it was to but, this. It was yeah. too Achy Breaky Heart. Yeah. Oh, now Yeah, it was like the Boot Scootin' Boogie to Achy so Breaky Heart. I almost like that. chose Boot Scootin' Boogie. That's a good one. Because it was, it was, for me, it was Achy Breaky Heart and Boot Scootin' Boogie. Yeah, he really won those line dances songs. Oh, man. I know. Maybe see, maybe there's some part of my life that I'm missing that I just never had this wonderful. You, you didn't get to take it in gym class growing you know. up. So I looked back in my elementary school yearbooks, which were a thing. Very, oh, very, yeah. very still got mine. And I didn't see any photos or evidence of this. And also asked my mom, and she was like, I don't remember that. And she subbed at elementary school a lot when I was growing up. They also could just be like, hey, nerd, go play with the calculator because you're never going to get this at all. <laughs> like, don't worry. No one's going to ask to dance with you. Like, you'll be good. Just that's do some. That's the great thing about line dancing is you do it with everybody. Yeah, well. Whatever. Well, I almost chose that one, but. Achy Breaky Heart, that would be a good line dancing tune. If you look at the Wikipedia, it said that because of this music video where there are women doing some sort of line dancing, Mm -hmm. people saw that and that's what blew up. No, yeah, so I remember for sure the video and everything and that happening. And and I see, I mean, shit, that song came out, was it 92? 92. 92. I was born in 89. So when it came out, I guess, when it was first released what was my perception of the world so I wouldn't have seen that but it totally <laughs> right. makes sense that that would be it because it's got that kind of chop jive to it mm-hmm. yeah. and then the book I saw on Google Books Line Dances Around the World I will cite that as the source here <laughs> I can't remember what it's linked from but um, basically that was part of their like I guess promotional strategy tying in with a line dance and put that in the music video and, mm-hmm. you know, choreographing something to this. And I mean, not that they thought the song would not do anything without it, but to kind of sustain the record was, you know, put this line dance into it and choreograph something to it. And then they put out like a 12 minute video, I think it said. It's like the Macarena. Kind of. Yeah, where it was like, all right, well, if we tie this to it, then it's going to have more of a life than just being a song on its own. Alan Jackson also did that around in 2002. I can't remember. Was it Small Town Country Man? No, it was. Uh what damn that album that came out with song did I'm just a small town country man shit I can't recall but his video features the world's longest line dance oh. and that's like that's like his whole video is actually just footage of the, the of like a Guinness book yeah yeah thing. the longest line dance is just people all lined up for like a couple miles or something like that I don't know I think, Spencer, you're talking about this being like a promotional thing. I think around that same time is when, at least my recollection growing up, I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina, is there were a lot of bars and dance halls that popped up, mm-hmm. and they played almost exclusively songs that you could line dance to. And so, 80% of those places were called cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'm trying to think of the... Um, there were like two close by that I grew up in, but it's like you went in and you knew that Achy Breaky Heart, you knew that Boo Scoot and Boogie, you knew the Watermelon Crawl was going to play, and that's how you kept hearing all these new songs was because you would go there and dance, mm-hmm. which I think is like very different. I don't really think of us having dance halls the way that like Texas does or anything until the 90s and line dancing yeah. came, came to be. A yeah. lot of them would pop up like that, and they were kind of, they're almost more like clubs, you know, they're county, yeah. county line clubs you know right. a lot of yeah. these places especially in the south in the 90s you're having that kind of revamp of evangelical i guess 
evangelism. What do you mm-hmm. call it? Evangelicalism? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> Anyhow, people were shutting down, you know, creating liquor ordinances in town and whatnot. So there's all these, old, you know, aluminum-sided buildings out oh, in yeah. town. People go out and dance and whatnot. Scuffletown. There we go. Because Scuffletown looked like that. It was yeah. a metal building, but it was... Big old gravel parking lot. It, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> exactly what it was. So it was like country line dancing most nights. But then sometimes they would close the... Uh, line dancing and have like teenage dance parties so you were cool if your parents let you stay late after the line dancing whoa mm-hmm. Did, were you cool no no I was not alright uh, <laughs> <was> cool. <laughs> cool. turns out we all realized that none of none us, of us were cool, cool. <laughs> Are we going to force our listeners to listen to a clip? Force. This is a this is a wonderful experience. I'd have to Which say. Which are we going to play the original? We'll play the regular one. Yeah. Okay. Play yeah. the original. You can tell my arms go back into the farm. You can tell my feet to hit the floor. Or you can tell my lips to tell my fingertips. They won't be reaching out for you. song was playing Dylan you were talking about it took you back to a VHS you had yes there was a VHS tape my mom had the Billy Ray Cyrus VHS tape and I remember popping in at certain times and it'd just be on in the house and I'm, I'm having fleeting memories of this and I'm a huge VHS nerd my I don't have an empty shelf in my house it's not just VHSs, you know, and uh, a lot of VCRs around as well. But because um, I mean, that way you have it. Anyway, uh, I remember this one specific tape that my mom had, and it, and it featured the video on it. And there was a couple live songs from some big mega concert, probably like the Houston Rodeo or some shit. You know, there was that, and there was a couple of. Uh, it was like Billy Ray Cyrus in his hometown. He's still a good old boy. You know, he's driving around in his old, you know, his grandpappy's truck and whatnot, and talking about, oh man, I grew up around here. I, was, you know, I used to ride my bikes with my buddies around here. I smoke cigarettes in the ditch over there and shit like that you know mm-hmm. I don't think he ever said that um, but you know you get my drift but that's where I've seen the line dancing from it's from that VHS you better believe it we'll have to find that on eBay somewhere well we also listened to a little bit of the version of this that came out a year before under the title Don't Tell My Heart recorded by the Marcy Brothers who you don't remember because they didn't really do anything at all notable one of them apparently is in Brad Paisley's band now but they put it out and it sounds really pretty similar so they did the first version of it? yeah so originally it was slated to be recorded by the Oak Ridge Boys but then their lead singer said he didn't like the words achy breaky and that dude blew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Some other band well, member like, in this interview was like, was like, yeah, we we fucked up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't imagine what an Oak Ridge Boys version of this. Oh would no, sound me like. me neither. But like that Marcy Brothers version sounded like just really the similar, same. Yeah. So I imagine the demo was pretty similar to both of these. Mm-hmm. I mean, their version they said "Achy Breaking Heart," which obviously you got to rhyme those, but. It's got to sound pretty similar, I would think. No country um, music doctor or nothing, but you got around that shit. <laughs> yeah, you got around that shit. 
So yeah, it was it was written by Don Von Tress, who hadn't written a whole lot of stuff at the time. And he obviously intended to be kind of a jokey song. It's funny, I was reading a story today that his friend, who was running a publishing company at the time, heard it and said, basically, like, you have to finish this and don't get a co-writer for this. Which is like the best advice he could have based on how much money he's obviously made off the song since then. But also, like, when you look at the lyrics to the song, if he had to get a co-writer for some of the lyrics to the song, you know, (laughs) how sad would that have been if he had to split his royalties because he couldn't come up with, like, you can tell your dog to bite my leg? Like, he just throwing shit out there just to, like, round out the song. Once again, I feel like the drunk uncle of all of ours Mm -hmm. could probably come up with that shit. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, none of that he makes... You realize it could just cost only the price of a sixer <laughs> yeah. we'd be good to go <laughs> yeah exactly it's all just throwaway lines and so he finished it Billy Ray apparently heard it and said that's me which is <laughs> which is a great response I read like multiple interviews where that was the exact line he said that's, that's me that's me <laughs> which that's so funny it's funny cause like to me way to go just to call it yeah man. to me in my head it's like the rest of that album he has like some gave all and it could have been me they're like kind of serious sounding songs you had to know like, yeah, you had to know that this was like a hokey song. He's like, yep, that's me. <laughs> Which maybe he's just like so aware to be like, yeah, I need to make some money off this shit. Like, yeah. you know, I, I can capitalize on this. Because right, imagine if that song wasn't on that album, where would Billy Ray Cyrus be now? We'd probably have no Miley Cyrus. I mean, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, according to what I read, was the last single to sell in the double digits of millions. It sold 11 million-ish copies, which I'm not sure how they track that now digitally. And they were having a hard time keeping it pressed in enough quantities to like supply all the retailers for a while. And at some point, they stopped selling the singles because they were afraid of cannibalizing album sales, and they still want to sell the album. And so they cut off selling singles. So yeah, like without the song, Billy Ray wouldn't be, I, I don't think, on the, yeah, on the map. But it, it makes no me Milo wonder... No Old Town Road. You I know. know. Yeah. Well, but it makes me wonder... <laughs> it's one of those things of like, okay, was Billy Ray Cyrus just like, yeah, this is me, or this was me. this actually like planned? Because like, I think that the same kind of stuff has happened with Miley Cyrus where people like talk crap about the different kind of phases that she's gone through. But I think that everything that she has ever done has been very calculated. And it makes me wonder if like Billy Ray Cyrus was like that too, or if he just got lucky. I feel like maybe the '90s country was like the last bastion of Wild West music, row, mm-hmm. You know, where where there's actually people having real conversations with other people and kind of old school type of promoting. Mm-hmm. Where nowadays, yeah, it's an all an algorithm because the internet exists, right? So you've got to be so incredibly calculated in how you release things and and how to do it. I mean, it's a bunch of shit that I don't fucking know, and I've been doing this shit for. I'll be doing it forever. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just such a strange world out there. And I guess the, in modern times, you got to be so damn calculated. But then it's just kind of like you grab whatever came at you and you put it on some shit and you went out there firing from the hip and you right. toured, you know, and then hopefully the radio DJs would play it. Yeah. So there's no internet to get it out there, you know, just hopefully you had old boys, you know, leaning up against their truck, putting it on, but man, check out this old shit I heard the other day, you know, and like, that's how people yeah, yeah. heard your records. And he may have figured out like, as he went, you know, like he's obviously kept living off this song. Like I was playing before you came over, Dylan, some of the three remixes that were on an album he put out like 25 years later, I think, mm-hmm. where there was a Spanglish version and a, I think he called it a Muscle Shoals 
version Holy with Ronnie shit. Millsap yeah, and Ronnie then Millsap. like oh, really? a more kind of like dance remix version. Speaking kind of a creepy dude. It's Ronnie Millsap. <laughs> yeah, kind of a creepy dude. I got a couple of his tapes and they're weird. Anyway, you know, he's leaned into it. But then now he kind of knows how to play the game too, obviously with Old Town Road. And then he like kind of oh, jumps straight from that into, hey, now I'm about to put out this new album. Which, obviously, I think he probably been prepping for a while, but I'm sure the timeline shifted some. I hope it just actually slaps. I hope it's amazing. Have you heard that first single that he put out a music video for? No. Angel in My Pocket? I couldn't listen to the song because the music video is so stupid. Oh, man. It is a weed nugget playing the role of Billy Ray Cyrus. In like a stop motion animation oh, video, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> called "Angel in My Pocket." The angel referring to the last joint in your pocket when you're going through rough times oh, or whatever. Shit, this is amazing. What was what, what? What did you find wrong with this? <laughs> wow. So this one talking. My brother is married to um, a wonderful young lady who works for the Jim Henson Company. And so at some point, when I can afford this, I'm totally making some shitty stop motion music videos like that. It's something I'd really love to do. And that's that's amazing. That's a weed nugget that's dressed like Billy Ray Cyrus. Yes. Oh my lanta. I couldn't tell you what the song sounded like because I was so distracted <laughs> by the dis- disturbingness of. It the, reminded me of either a California oh Raisins yes. or like the that's Chicken McNuggets, like from the night. Yes. yes. But a weed nugget instead and like higher quality. I mean, that's the and California nuggets now, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's dude. I'm so into bad. it, man. I'm totally into that shit. Because that's the kind of fucking weird we need in this world. You know, like he really could have sold out and done something super chowny, which is a word that we can discuss in a bit. But uh, he could have done something real chowny. And this is like funny chowny, which is kind of like, all right. Like, way to go not to give a fuck. Well, I do. Yeah, he definitely signed off on that shit. It's funny to me, as much as he's like pop country of the 90s with this song obviously being it, there's like still this part of him that's like he's staying on the fringes of what's okay. Like how many artists of the Nashville mainstream, even that are, you know, kind of washed up past a prime like him, would have done something with Lil Nas X or, mm-hmm. you know, would have done a video like this. Like, Snoop he just, Dogg like, doesn't really give a fuck. that comes to mind. And, right, right. And I love the way that Snoop Dogg don't give a fuck. Or Willie Nelson seems to not, well, he's yeah. always not giving a fuck, and it's been amazing. Right. Yeah, and especially now, he's, like, old enough that he's like, what the fuck? Dude, you're, you're just, like, at that, oh, man, that's, like, I'm actually looking forward to being that old, man, because it's like, <laughs> dang, I can do whatever the fuck I want. I want. You know? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's anybody that was so popular mainstream and then just doesn't give a fuck now. Yeah. But it's still actually, like, doing stuff. Because we were talking about Smash Mouth earlier. <laughs> they obviously don't give a fuck. But they also aren't, like... They have to give enough of a fuck to make money. Whereas Billy Ray probably made so much fucking money so much, I mean, off this song. So he doesn't really have to give a fuck. I was looking here, and it's like it topped in several countries. It was the first country single to be certified as platinum since Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Which slaps so hard. Yesterday was mine and my husband's anniversary. We completely forgot. But that was our first... <laughs> first dance. At least you um, both forgot. We both no. forgot. Um, but that reminded me of the conversation that we had on our first episode where we were talking about Billy Ray Cyrus touring and opening for Dolly Parton whenever oh, yeah. he released this album. Yeah. And What? Mm-hmm. That's whip ass. Yeah. But I mean... Apparently I, there were rumors about them being a thing. Uh-uh. And he was really like upset and offended and she was like, honey, that shit sells albums. It's okay. So, yeah, so he Dolly learned this. Is so fucking cool, man. <laughs> yeah. 
He learned this marketing shit. Like, he picked up on the And that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that their relationship with Dolly Parton probably has a lot to do with Miley Cyrus's ability to, like, market herself. Because... Dolly Parton is still hot as shit now. She's fine as hell. After oh, I was I was, I was thinking more musically, but yeah, that too. <laughs> In multiple ways. In so many Ooh. ways. <laughs> she still got it. I'll tell you what. Well, I'm sorry that we we're recording here instead of my house because I have like five Dolly Parton prints and things hanging you around. Have, yeah, you wouldn't be able to focus. I know, right? <laughs> Now you, I, I, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking to interior decorate my van. And I think that's just what I need. Yeah. Well, he is Here's touring again soon. Just playing uh, Franklin, North Carolina. It was the closest, I think, sometime in August. That's like way the fuck over, like above Georgia. Oh, okay. North Carolina. So I, like, I don't even know where that yeah, is. Yes, that's, that's why. So, Road trip. Nope. Oh, is it on the way to Dollywood? <laughs> oh, maybe for that. Yeah. I don't care enough about Billy Ray to drive like five hours. Maybe and, if we can do it on the way to someplace. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. Any you want to talk about yours? We can. What you um, got? I'm excited about that. Well, so, so Dylan, I, I Googled you before. Um, <laughs> Am I Googleable? Uh, is that, a, is of, that a verb? A, a Everyone bit. is Googleable. It I just depends right. on what you. That's a stupid question. I've Googled yeah. myself. Well, but because like my, you know, if, I'm, if I'm stuck on, you know, if I can't choose a song... Or if there's nothing that, like, particularly inspires me at that moment, I try to find something that connects back to whoever our guest is. So that's why I Googled you. Okay. Um, And that's how I learned that you were from Lake Charles. Mm -hmm. And so then I Googled to see who else was from Lake Charles. Tight. And I came up with Lucinda. Williams. That's right. I was was wondering if that was going back there. All right. So, of course, Lucinda is one of those that we've talked about this stuff before of, like, these are people that were active and popular in the 90s, but they were not this mainstream country. They were doing this early Americana type Mm -hmm. stuff. So instead of doing a Lucinda song like her original stuff, I went with the Mary Chapin Carpenter version of Passionate Kisses, which came out in 1993. The The album came out in 92. The album came out in 92. The single came out in 93. Lucinda's version came out in 88. So I like the song. I loved it as a Lucinda Williams song. This is also, Lucinda is my husband's first old lady crush is how he describes her. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right on. (laughs) And she re-released her self-titled album a few years ago, the one that has Passionate Kisses on it. And I bought him that album that was signed by her splurged a little bit for my boo (laughs) well that one also has the night's too long which pay love let's record and Mm -hmm. then change the locks that tom petty did so had some songs that made you know some headway with other artists too i didn't realize until looking this up that this won her a best country song grammy Mm -hmm. in 94 Mm -hmm. which is when mary chapin carpenter won it for best female country vocal performance Yeah. yeah She was dominating that shit in the early 90s, apparently. She won it four years in a row. She did. Well, and so this was on her album, Come On, Come On, that had... um, I got that on tape from a Honda back home. Oh, yeah. (laughs) better believe it. Uh, It had I Feel Lucky, which we haven't talked about that one yet, but I was thinking about doing it one time. That album, the Mary Chapin Carpenter album, also has... A duet with Joe Diffie? Thank Is that you. where you're going That's with this? That's where I was going with that. <laughs> Perfect. Our man Joe. Our man Saint Joe. Joe. <laughs> Lots of connections there in the big spider web of 90s country music. Yeah, and she won two Best Female Country Vocal Performance Awards off that one album, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. 
I don't really know that album itself that well, but apparently it was like huge. I mean, it sold almost three million copies. Mm-hmm. Um, had a ton. I think six singles she put off of there, which is pretty crazy. And obviously won her some Grammys. I think this was the third single from it. Peaked at number four. Mm-hmm. But her version sounds pretty It's really similar, similar to Lucinda's version. The one thing that I do like about the Mary Chapin Carpenter version, I think it's the third verse where there's a line that's like, it's my right. And Lucinda is kind of going down with it as she's singing it. But Mary Chapin Carpenter like shouts it, and it's very much like Lady Power type of feeling, a bit more so than Lucinda's version. Do you want to listen to a little clippy clip? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Do I want too much? Am I going overboard to want that touch? Shout it out to the night. Give me what I deserve. Cause it's my right. Shouldn't I have this? Shouldn't I have this? Shouldn't I have all of this? And passionate kisses. Passionate kisses. I love that you were singing along there as we were listening to that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's funny because I, I, I always wonder, like, as a musician, you know, you hear stuff and you sing along, and would you ever be inspired to, like, cover this? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, hands down. Uh, we were just working on one. Well, we, we do, of course, it's a Little Feet song, but the London Ronstadt version is my favorite of Willen, mm-hmm. which I think is the best truck driving song of mm-hmm. all time. We do recover that, but I think because I don't know, a lot of the female approach to it and that range, you can just I think that those melodies are they separate themselves a little bit from male melodies a little bit sometimes. I don't know, they're just like more fun to sing. Yeah, what the hell's that song? Dad gummit. There's there's a song that we were working on, and now I can't think of it because I've had two beers real quick (laughs) and uh, I'm in the forgetful stage of my drinking for the evening. Which starts now and doesn't end. Do you want me to <laughs> um, Google it real quick? Suds in the bucket. God. Oh, yeah. I had, to, like, I had to sing through it all the way <laughs> in my head to get to Sizzle up, suds in the bucket, and clothes hanging out on the line. So, yeah, I love covering female country songs, especially the 90s variety, because those are the most fun. And, yeah. and I think that is something to draw to draw from about 90s country. Is that, of course, obviously, Patsy, Loretta, Dolly, Tanya, all of them been doing it forever, but I feel like in '90s countries, whenever there's the real first push to equalize mm-hmm. the genders in country music, oh, yeah. you know, and you've got the emergence of Reba, and then you've got the real like, I'm gonna be Shania Twain about all this shit, which is like, you know, we're talking about some business country. What's going on here? Mary Chip Carpenter mm-hmm. and whatnot, and just a lot. I mean, shit, Tanya Tucker. Of course, she was doing it late '80s, you know, but into the '90s and right. stuff. Tanya, bless her. <laughs> I got to meet Tanya Tucker last summer. It's cool as hell. Yeah. She was doing a one-off in Norway, and we were over touring in Norway, and we did this festival with her. She shows up. Like, we see her play during the day and shit. Can't really talk to her. It turns out we're actually staying in the same hotel. We walk in the hotel lobby, and the bar is supposed to have been closed. We didn't expect it to be open. So we're like, fuck, the hotel bars are closed. We get back. All right, cool. Anyway, we get back, but Tanya Tucker's sitting there with this other guy. Porter McClister is a shit-hot guitar player out of Nashville. And they're old friends, and she's sitting down at this table with, like, five tequila shots in front of her and, like, a plate of limes and a plate of salt. <laughs> And just like a handful of American spirit cigarettes, you know, it's just like she's buying in bulk when she's there. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> is there a Costco she stumbled upon? I think it was just like the bar was closed and she got back, and they probably it was like it's fucking Tanya Tucker. You, 
you open the fucking yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. You know, and some Norwegian kid I never heard of was like, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, like went along with it. But it was pretty whip ass, man. She did the splits. We were talking to her a lot about Glenn Campbell because <laughs> we were holding an Arkansas flag. We kind of, well, they had two stages out there. One would go, another one would go. And at night, there was like the headliners, they would stagger. Yeah. And so we played right before Tanya. And then for her set, we were standing side stage of this Arkansas flag. And she'd mentioned something about Glenn. And then later on that night, we talked to her about Glenn Campbell. We're like, she's like, oh, the Arkansas boys, right? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, we are. <laughs> we're way too proud about it, too. But um, anyway, uh, she started telling us about how Glenn, Glenn Campbell was the love of her life. And all that. She's just like, yeah, we just didn't really realize until we're both married to other people. But, you know, we had this conversation about, like, damn, we really blew it with each other. And we were just like, why the fuck are you telling us this? Yeah. This is amazing. You know, and then we went outside and smoked American spirits together. (laughs) And she held the Arkansas flag while she did a split. And we all took a picture with her. Oh, my gosh. I'll show it to you in a bit. That's amazing. Um, Send that yeah. to us and we'll put it on our Instagram too. That's oh, hell like, yeah. Awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then she, I remember like later on the night, she kissed me on the cheek. She's like, don't ever quit doing what you're doing, honey. And I was like, I'll never forget this. <laughs> and like, now I'm going to spend at least like 10 more years in a van just because you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful anyway, stuff. That, there's your tangent from me. That's a great tangent. No, and, and we. Tangent's we We've talked about that quite a few times on this podcast of, like, how powerful the women in the 90s were. Mm-hmm. And Reba is part of the reason that this podcast exists. Oh, really? I oh, can't yeah. I miss mentioning Reba, of course. Oh, yeah. We try to get... Reba still slaps. Oh, yeah. The, she has a new album that just came out, and there's a couple of bangers. I almost um, said it. Damn. <laughs> I don't know if you saw my, my lips puckered from... Bangers. Yeah. It's a good one. Well, anything, any, anything else about Mary Chapin Carpenter? We've talked about her before, about how she's from New Jersey, but we forgive her because she sounds pretty country. So here's another tangent about people up north playing country music. Wonderful, uh, wonderful voice out of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Marie. We've done some, did a couple shows with her. Look her up. My favorite voice in country music right now. And she's and a she's Yankee. she's from Rhode Island. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. So they got some they got some talent up there sleeping. Yeah. You know, Zeph and I Horrors up there from originally mm-hmm. from New Hampshire yeah. of New York, you know, and you know, I don't think that necessarily country is a geographical thing as much as it is just a cultural thing and especially as we progress in life and globalization becomes more and more real, mm-hmm. whether or not, you know, some folks like to admit it or not, it's uh Shit rubs off uh, all over the globe. You know? Well, and we even talked about, we did a, an entire episode devoted to Shania Twain, and we talked about, you know, even though she's from Canada, she grew up in a very rural setting. And mm-hmm. it's almost like that kind of like rural, small town is more of the country feeling than like geographically. Totally, totally. It's more of a feeling than necessarily a geographical mm-hmm. placement. And, you know, I lived in Canada for a short amount of time, and, and by no means do I understand Canadian culture really to any measure. I was up there for about a year, and I was fortunate enough to tour between Vancouver and Montreal. And uh, I'll tell you what, you know, there's a lot of folks in the Southwest like, oh, we've got cowboy culture. If you never. Clearly, none of them have ever been to Alberta, Canada, mm-hmm. or Saskatchewan, because that's real cowboy culture. Real and it's still kind of... A lot of the real late 19th century stuff still really exists there, and it thrives there in that way of life. It's super simple because it's still so isolated. Right. And it's so far out there, and you really have no other option. Mm-hmm. There's there's no... Postmodernism has not reached that part of the world at all. Right. You know, so it's... Canada might be more country than a lot of the U.S., you know, and it's... Uh, I mean, shit, stop Tom Connors, ever heard of him? A little guy named Hank Snow, ever heard of him? You know, shit. Oh, Canada. Yeah, Coulter Wall's making a big move out of there now. Yeah. Well, very good. Three good songs today. 
I had a damn fine time, you know? Thanks. We were up in Greenville last night, and it was good. Excited as hell, as just all fucking hell, excuse me, uh, to be here in Raleigh. <laughs> I don't know. It, this is my favorite town in the, in, the, you know, in the Eastern Time Zone, one of my favorite places in the world. And I'm not sure what water I drank six years ago when my first time I ever came through here before, but I'm kind of obsessed with North Carolina and Raleigh. So, yeah. All right. And you said earlier, the meaning thing, you'll see us again, you know? So, speaking of, what do you have coming up? We'll be putting this up later this summer. Mm-hmm. You have a big big news coming later this summer, I guess. Or it's not news, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it, it'll be news to me, you know, whenever it goes down. But <laughs> we're putting out... It, it'll be my, my second full-length album, putting out on August 2nd. I didn't, you know, have that EP and that first full length, and this will be the second full length. Yeah, we're just kind of, I'll start rolling out some singles and kind of preparing for the fall. And then I'm just trying to take the summer off and, and enjoy Arkansas and, and be out on some good water and keep it in the Ozarks for the summer and relax a little bit because this, this fall is going to be pretty hectic. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I finally got to, not to say the last album wasn't something I didn't want to make, so I wanted to make that for sure. Um, and I'm still real damn proud of it and the work that my buddies Chris Moore and East Hall recording in Fable did, and especially Will Eubanks, who produced it. Yeah, but this is an album that kind of combines a lot of, from 90s country in particular, because that was such a huge part of my upbringing and uh, what got me into all this. I guess it's a big combination of a lot of things and hopefully it's not just a direct emulation like a lot of people seem to be just going for I'm, oh, I'm just going to sound just like this mm-hmm. and hopefully it doesn't sound like anything you've ever heard before but hopefully it sounds really familiar and I think I saw that's pre-orderable now yeah so by the time this comes out I will have already announced that um, <laughs> it's on the website and everything I just built everything and so people are starting to find it but I haven't gotcha. made the official announcement so this is another wonderful opportunity to uh, announce that there is on the website a, a pre-order. And the internet and all that shit on it, really, it's fleeting for me. So luckily I had a friend kind enough to help put that thing together. And by help, I mean, we had a couple meetings and I just kind of gave some direction and she did all the work <laughs> entirely. But a killer job. So you can get a website and you can pre-order the whole album. You can pre-order it digitally on CD, tape, or vinyl. It'll be released on tape through uh, my buddy Tape Dad out in uh, Fable. Shout out Tape Dad. <laughs> I'll be doing the CDs and probably the vinyl as well through my so-called label Fabulon Records, which is Googleable. so I guess that makes it <laughs> legitimate, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll see you again in Raleigh probably oh, in the fall. Yeah. yeah, so the plan right now is um, we usually always do a winter tour with my buddy Willie Carlisle. Oh, yeah. We came through last time with right. Willie. Um, we're going to do it again this year. It should be, it'll be the third time we do it. And, um, yeah, I mean, North Carolina is always kind of the main focus. And, and it seems to have started becoming more and more the main focus at the end of my tour. Because it's like, oh, we go drag through the shit forever. And that's <laughs> like, ah, oh, back in North Carolina. I'm like, fuck, yeah. Because I feel like if I came here at the beginning of a tour, I would just like, you know, I would just, I don't know. <laughs> trying to find the right words that weren't too You, you would want to stay here. No, I would just say like, yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to like blow the proverbial wide. Oh, yeah. No, so you can speak. say that on yeah. this podcast. Okay, very cool. I was just like, man, I was just going back to like, who's going to hear this? Now? <laughs> yeah, so it, we always say North Carolina for last, and, and I plan on being out here again with Willie because he loved it so much whenever he came out here with us. And we're talking about bringing our northern pals, the Mallet Brothers, down. It was funny. Those guys were coming from the south, and we were coming from the north in this tour, and we're kind of texting back and forth, sending screenshots of maps. And we met in Swedesboro, New Jersey, at a cigar bar. <laughs> And like just hopped off the highway, 
drank some whiskey, a couple beers. Those boys were ripping cigars. I was like, a lot of fun with that shit. <laughs> but uh, decided, I was like, man, you guys need to be coming to North Carolina because they play down in Tennessee all the time and Virginia. But they hardly ever play North Carolina. So I'm going to try to bring the Mallet Brothers and Willie Carlisle. But if anything, we at least will be back in December. I apologize for digressing. <laughs> well, I think awesome. it was the last date you played with Willie Carlisle here. We were talking about, actually on the episode of Blue Cactus, I think, mm-hmm. where sometimes songs bumming you out so much. Like I'd been listening to the New Country B record a lot like the week of that show or whatever okay. and it just like was like really resonating or whatever and I was like I just don't know if I want to go see that live cause like <laughs> it's just like really resonating right now like I just think I'm good with like just being at home and not being out in a public place and being like that bummed out about some of these songs cause some of them are like really fucking bummers like oh yeah man I, yeah I mean I, I was in a spot when I wrote a lot of that shit you know they're bummers they're total bummers we were talking more about those bummer songs and that was when I was really feeling like I'm just gonna I'm gonna bum it out so fucking hard you kind of dig into that cliche and that yeah. stick a little bit more and you know like I was saying also this record I'm making now is a little bit more well you know something I've been thinking of for a long time a style of record and want to make a long time somewhere between Merle Haggard and Glenn Campbell and I don't know around there <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh you know that that, that album we're, we're still really damn proud of it, and i'm glad that it still has a little bit of weight to it oh yeah i'm mostly great. glad that people enjoy it and, and get something from it and don't see it just as as an emulation or a shtick like i was saying so yeah. thank you i'm glad i'm glad it bummed you out is what i'm trying to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah well hopefully in the next like three hours i won't get bummed out enough by it to like not make it to slim tonight so. all right all right we'll so see that's my goal go to slim's and and have some fireball for me yeah well cool well thanks for being here and doing this absolutely it's fucks thank you guys for having me <laughs> <laughs> that will be like our we'll use as a pool quote yeah we're Please. gonna neon boots fucks we're just gonna <laughs> do that clip <laughs> it, it just does you know I'm not here to talk your off about it but it does I think we have one official review on on iTunes so well it probably doesn't say that so probably need they're probably go, uh, go write that <laughs> right. for us okay. I, I didn't know I could write you on iTunes I didn't know I didn't, I didn't know you could either I don't know it's a podcast yeah. so be sure to put something else more give us, on, give us five stars and yeah. a review that just says neon boots I'll throw up some more stuff on instagram.com too and, and I'll get on iTunes.com you know maybe facebook.com and, all of that. A.nets are you on That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> throw some up there. Figure it out. Well, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. All right. All right. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye, Mom. Adidas. I'm so happy that I can't stop crying. I'm so happy I'm laughing through my teeth. Saw a friend of mine. He said, I was worried about. I heard she had another man I wondered how you felt about it I'm so happy